Welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm Michael Bryan, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. And I'm Kevin McKenney, Director of Government Affairs for WDMA. Open and Close is also a fitting title for this episode since the federal government just opened after another shutdown in exchange for a national emergency. You may be shaking your head at all the dysfunction in DC, but there are still many issues being teed up in this new Congress that could have a major impact on our industry not to mention some of the issues that are percolating in the states. Before Kevin and I get to those issues, as a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at wdma.com slash WDMA Open and Close. So let's get to it. Kevin, let's talk about the new Congress. Now that committee assignments are taking shape, what are some of the committees to watch this year? We definitely pay a lot of attention to starting on the House side. We look very closely at the House Energy and Commerce Committee. That's now being chaired by Congressman Pallone from the state of New Jersey. And the former chairman, Greg Walden, uh, will now assume the ranking member position for the Republicans. The Energy and Commerce Committee does a lot of issues, uh, including energy legislation that WDMA follows. So that's one we look at very closely. We also look closely to the Ways and Means Committee. That's now going to be chaired by Congressman Neal from Massachusetts. That's the committee that deals with all the major tax laws and, and tax provisions in the code. So that's one to look for. And in addition, we also look for who's uh, some of the key players on the Appropriations Committee. That now will be chaired by Congresswoman Lowry. And the ranking member will be Congresswoman Granger uh, from Texas. This is one of the more powerful committees in the House. They deal a lot with congressional appropriations and crafting those government funding bills. So that one in the language that they uh, include in their appropriations bills, or as we've seen lately, continuing resolutions, that's what we watch for as well. So uh, that's on the House side. Over in the Senate, we look closely to the Energy and Natural Resources Committee that will continue to be chaired by Senator Murkowski and Senator Manchin from the state of West Virginia will be uh, the new ranking member for the state of West Virginia. We also look for action on the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, that's chaired now by Senator Grassley, who previously chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee. They deal a lot with issues related to tax policy, much like the Ways and Means Committee in the House. And the Senate has an Appropriations Committee as well. This is chaired by Senator Shelby and Senator Leahy is the ranking member there very similar to the House, deals with government funding bills, keeping the lights on uh, for the government. And lastly, we also look at the Environment and Public Works Committee that's chaired by Senator Barrasso from the state of Wyoming. The ranking member is Senator Tom Carper from the state of Delaware. They deal a lot with environmental issues, issues related to EPA regulations, including the uh, EPA-led paint rule. In the past, we've been able to introduce legislation in the Senate on the EPA-led paint rule, and that was something that the Environment and Public Works Committee looked at. So those are some of the uh, the main committees that WDMA looks at in the new Congress and, and starts forming relationships with. So there's been a lot of media coverage about this new committee in the House, the Select Committee on Climate Crisis? Crisis. Yes. But there really isn't a lot there there yet, is there? No, I think it's still very new and there's still shaping out a lot of what the committee is going to be doing. This is something that's new, but not new. So this was a committee that was already in place under the Democrats in the, a few Congresses ago when the Democrats were in control of the House, when the Republicans came on board 
uh, that got rid of that select committee and it hasn't been in effect since. Now that the Democrats have retaken the House, they've brought that committee back and made a little bit of a tweak in changing the name from the Select Committee on Climate Change to the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis. And what we've heard a lot about is that they really wanted to communicate uh, a real sense of urgency on the issue. And so using the term crisis was something that was favored by a lot of, uh, of Democrats. This committee is going to be chaired by Congresswoman Kathy Castor from the state of Florida. But we don't really have a lot of information about the things that they're going to be looking at. We do know that they're not going to be able to really consider actual legislation. They're going to be able to do uh, some investigative work in terms of looking at climate change. They're going to be probably issuing some white papers uh, and reports on how legislation could be crafted. So that's that's really a lot of the information that we have currently. We're going to be, I think, seeing a lot more come out as the committee starts doing work and, and holding hearings. There's still going to be a lot of gridlock between both chambers, and I know many people are skeptical whether any meaningful legislation can pass. So what do you think are some of the areas Congress can actually tackle, and what are the areas that can impact WDMA? So I think there's a few things there. One thing to mention is what you alluded to in the beginning of the podcast was some of those uh, appropriation and budget issues. So the the government's funded through the end of September, but one of the things that's going to have to happen next month is that Congress will need to take action to raise the federal debt ceiling. That's a fight that's going to be uh, taking place. I'm assuming that there, there won't be too much of an issue there, but they will have to do that. And then, of course, appropriations later in September. Uh, but otherwise, apart from that, I think a couple of things that we could see is energy legislation again. This is something that WDMA has worked on for a number of years. And was recently very close to passing. It actually went to a conference committee, which is the final stage of congressional consideration before a bill uh, is sent to the president for signature. So in previous uh, in a previous Congress, that bill got very, very close to passage, uh, but ultimately didn't. We're starting to see some offices on the Hill start to take an interest in energy legislation again. Con- or now Senator uh, Marsha Blackburn is interested in reintroducing the uh, language in the energy bill that we refer to as the Blackburn Schrader language. We've also uh, had some conversations with Congressman Kurt Schrader's office, who was the lead Democratic sponsor of that bill in the past. He's interested in introducing that. Energy legislation is something that we can, uh, I think we can definitely see some action on, potentially definitely at the committee level. There's also a lot of talk about infrastructure. I think it's It remains to be seen exactly how that might shape out. There's a lot of different ways that Congress could tackle infrastructure, but it's something that seems to be generating a lot of bipartisan support. It might be for different reasons, but I think that some of the relevant committees in the uh, the House and Senate are going to definitely take a look at infrastructure as well. So let's turn to trade. The president signed the new NAFTA, the USMCA, last November. And Congress is beginning the process of approving the agreement, uh, which I'm not sure everyone realizes also needs to happen in order for the new agreement to take effect. How is that going right now? And what do you see as the, the outlook and whatever hurdles might be coming up in terms of getting the new agreement approved? Well, right now, Congress is beginning to take up that process of approval. Both houses of Congress are going to have to approve it by an up or down vote, there'll be no amendments allowed or changes to the agreement. So the first step there is going to be a committee consideration. So for example, the Senate Finance Committee will consider this language, the House Ways and Means Committee uh, will consider this language and a couple others as well. So the committees will will do some work on 
looking at the agreement, looking at areas that they like, that they don't like, uh, that's going to take probably at least a couple of months before it moves to e-chamber for a vote. We're starting to see that a lot of Democrats have previously been a little bit hesitant to support this just because I think they're a little bit, to say the least, unhappy with President Trump. But we're starting to see a lot of them start to come around and are expressing support for this. I think part of that is probably because of the way President Trump is talking about NAFTA. So NAFTA is still in effect, and the USMCA agreement is intended to replace NAFTA. The reality is it's just a modified NAFTA. Yes, it is very, very similar to the NAFTA agreement. There are some minor changes, but overall, it looks very, very close to the previous agreement. President Trump, he does have to get congressional approval for the agreement to replace NAFTA, but he does maintain the ability to withdraw from the agreement if he so chose. Um, And many in Congress, I think, are very uncomfortable with that. So despite any concerns that some of the congressional Democrats have, I think we're going to start to see a lot of them support the language. And I think that the committee and and congressional consideration will ultimately be mostly smooth. So pivoting to tariffs, WDMA is working for some time with USTR to open the exclusion request process for the third list of Chinese products subject to a 25% tariff. I know we got some good news in that area as a result of the deal on the government shutdown or not shutting the government down, I should say. So what, what's what's going on there? Yeah, that's been an interesting issue for, for a couple of months now that WDMA has been working on to try to open that exclusion request process. We did get some good news last week when President Trump signed that spending bill to keep the government open. There was language in it that requires the U.S. Trade Representative's office to actually open that exclusion request process, which is a big positive. It's something that we'll be definitely working on when it is, in fact, opened. There really wasn't much uh, language in there in terms of when they have to do it, so it's not like we're going to see it uh, probably tomorrow. But I think that USTR will make a good faith effort here uh, to comply with that language uh, and open it up. And I know that, apart from WDMA, a lot of other groups have been working hard to open that exclusion request process up. There's over a thousand different products on the list and WDMA, uh, along with a bunch of other trade associations who are part of the Americans for Free Trade Coalition, have been have been working hard on that for a couple of months. So I think we're going to start seeing USTR take some action to open that exclusion request process and uh, WDMA will be, uh, will be very active in that once that happens. So have there been any updates to the steel and aluminum tariff situation? Mostly no, but it is worth mentioning that Ambassador Freeland, who is the lead trade individual in the Canadian government, was uh, recently at the Munich conference this past weekend and met with uh, Speaker Pelosi at that conference. This was on Saturday. And they discussed the steel and aluminum tariffs. Ambassador Freeland asked that Pelosi try to work hard to try to rescind those, at least for Canada. Uh, The Trump administration is mostly in favor of these, and I think it's just going to take a little bit more pressure on them to consider repealing or rolling back those tariffs. Isn't the reality that it's likely they're just going to stay until the new NAFTA is approved? Yeah, I think that's that's probably most likely. I think that the Trump administration sees those tariffs as a good kind of a a bargaining chip in a way. And before they were using that uh, to get favorable conditions for the USMCA for the NAFTA replacement agreement. So I think that's possible. We could see that uh, as kind of a unspoken, you know, we're going to keep this in place until 
until Congress approves the agreement. Well, so. and then there's still the other countries that are affected by those tariffs as well. And that's going to be another whole different process. Yes, absolutely. And going back a little bit too to when to when these were first introduced, there were a bunch of exemptions granted for a variety of countries that are allies of the United States. Canada and Mexico, of course, were exempted originally. So were members of the EU, uh, Argentina, Brazil, South Korea. These countries were exempted. Now, those exemptions were rescinded. And so there's there's all of that side as well, where they're getting a lot of pressure from those countries and people involved in trade with those countries, uh, pressure to, to have those lifted. And so I think the pressure is going to continue to build. The Trump administration is probably going to continue to hold for a little bit on those steel and aluminum tariffs, but I think they'll ultimately be rolled back. It'll just be a matter of of when, and it probably is true that that won't happen until after the USMCA is uh, approved by Congress. So there's been a lot of consternation in the media last week about the power of the president to declare the national emergency, uh, potentially exceeding the power granted by Congress. I know that is dovetailing also with a lot of the concern, similar concerns with his implementation of tariffs. Uh, what are you hearing in Congress about possibly reining in the president's ability to take these kinds of actions? Well, there are quite a few in Congress who do want to curb that authority. And that authority comes from a couple laws that were passed decades ago. One of them, for example, is the Trade Expansion Act of 1962. We're um, talking about the tariffs. Yes. And what Congress essentially did was normally they would have authority here over the tariff issue. But in the early 60s, Congress gave that authority over to the executive branch. That was used at the time very, very narrowly. And it hasn't been used uh, since then by the executive branch. President Trump's the first one to use it since then. So many are a little bit concerned about this uh, in Congress, especially those who are favoring, you know, more congressional oversight over the executive branch. And so we're, we're definitely seeing those in Congress who are starting to gear up for some legislation. For example, I've spoken with Senator Pat Toomey's office recently from the state of Pennsylvania. He has introduced legislation that would actually give that power back to Congress. Uh, that's the power to impose tariffs for national security concerns, which is where the steel and aluminum tariffs came from. And there are uh, several co-sponsors of that bill. Even before the exclusion request process began, Senator uh, Lankford was considering legislation to use uh, Congress to force the executive branch to open that up. And there is some legislation in the House as well. So there are many in Congress who are uncomfortable with the expansion of executive power in this uh, in this area. And I think that, you know, the Toomey bill might get some steam for sure, as those uh, senators continue to hear a lot more about the effects of the tariffs. I think they're going to be a lot more interested in giving that power back to uh, to Congress to exercise. But again, any action to take the power back is still subject to a presidential veto. So the chances really of that happening in the near term are probably fairly small. Yes, of, of final passage, it's very, it's probably more unlikely. The only way to really get that in, signed into law would be to attach it as a quote, a rider to a larger piece of legislation that would be considered must pass, meaning Trump wouldn't be able to say no to signing it. It'd be something maybe that's a priority of his or just something that is very customary for the president to sign. And so that would be really the only way he would never sign it as a standalone bill. So it definitely faces an uphill battle, but it will be interesting to watch 
you know, who, who uh, in Congress gets behind that effort uh, and how far it, it, uh, it, it can go. So we're going to take a quick break and be right back and talk about energy. So stay with us. Make your voice heard on Capitol Hill by attending the WDMA Spring Meeting and Legislative Conference, which will be held this year on April 1st through the 3rd in Washington, D.C. This fast-paced conference features a mixture of policy briefings, presentations from members of Congress, and an opportunity for you to advance WDMA's policy agenda with your own senators and representatives. There will also be plenty of networking opportunities as well, both with industry reps, but also some joint events with the National Lumber and Building Material Dealers Association. You'll be fully briefed on key issues, so you're prepared to meet with policymakers and their staffs. Constituents are the most powerful voice with legislators, and this is an incredible opportunity to remind leaders of the importance of our industry and advance the advocacy agenda of WDMA. And it'll also be cherry blossom season, so register today at WDMA.com. The early bird registration deadline is Monday, March 4th. And we're back talking with Kevin McKenney, WDMA's Director of Government Affairs, and we're going to move on to energy. So, Kevin, over the past few years, WDMA and other stakeholders have been working on comprehensive energy legislation, which has always been just this close to passing. But we never seem to get over the final hurdle. What can we expect on the energy front this year? I think that it's very, very likely. In fact, I think it's definite that we're going to see another energy bill. This in previous years in the Senate has been led by Senator Rob Portman from the state of Ohio. Uh, Senator Portman has indicated that he is absolutely willing to do another energy bill and in fact wants to. Uh, he's joined in that effort on the Democratic side by Senator Janine Shaheen and they are both uh, very champions of passing a comprehensive energy bill. They both work very closely with Senator Murkowski, who is the chair of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. And Senator Murkowski is also very interested in an energy bill, as is Senator Manchin, the ranking member uh, on that uh, Senate committee. I think that to some degree, though, we're going to see a lot of issues related to coal or oil or, or other issues like that because of, you know, just because of the uh, states that the chairman and ranking member come from, we're going to see a lot of that in an energy bill. But in addition, though, I think we're going to see a lot of other things that, you know, get included, which we'll talk about in a second with the building code language, for example, as being one. So it's probably going to be a pretty big bill. I think the committee is probably going to include a lot of different priorities in there from different senators. So I think that it has a very good chance this year of definitely getting consideration and it could even pass both chambers. So, so going back to the Blackburn Schrader legislation that you mentioned earlier, there was legislation in the past which we supported called Blackburn Schrader, but that was when Senator Blackburn was in the House and was the lead Republican and Congressman Kurt Schrader of Oregon was the lead Democrat, which was specifically legislation dealing with the Department of Energy's role in building code development. Now that Senator Blackburn is in the Senate and the Democrats are in charge of the House, it would seem that this would be a, 
a pretty good opportunity perhaps to push forward with a new version of Blackburn Trader. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think something might happen this year? I think that, yes, something will definitely happen, especially if Senator Portman uh, reintroduces his bill. So Senator Blackburn has indicated that she's absolutely willing to be the Senate champion this year for that bill, which makes sense um, being you know, pretty much the the lead sponsor of that in the House in previous years. This is a, a very good thing moving forward because in the past, getting Senate sponsorship for the standalone legislation was a little bit challenging. There were some senators who were uh, a little uncomfortable with with taking up that taking up that issue. In the House, Congressman Schrader is willing to take the lead on that from the Democrats, and so I think it's very very likely that we're going to see companion bills in the House and Senate. So over the past couple of weeks, WDMA has been talking with a lot of other trade associations, including the National Association of Home Builders and some others who are supportive of this language and have been in previous years. They're all on board with this effort and are really trying to push hard for that Blackburn Trader bill to get introduced and to also be the actual building code language that's included in the final bill. The building code language in the Portman Shaheen bill that we were talking about is is more focused on emphasizing DOE's role and in terms of being a technical advisor, um, but it lacks a few of the things that WDMA thinks are uh, better addressed in the uh, Blackburn language. For example, there's a requirement that any uh, amendments to the code, or, or I should say that any uh, amendments that DOE uh, supports during the code development process must have a payback uh, of 10 years or less. Um, that is not in the Portman Shaheen bill. So that's an example of, of an area that WDMA would be working on with the Senate committee should that bill be introduced, which I think it will. So WDMA will be working pretty closely with a lot of those other industry groups as this uh, as this continues. And I think probably within the next probably month or so is when we're going to start seeing an uptick in activity on that legislation introduction uh, and consideration by by the committees. So shifting over to the regulatory side, has there been some activity going on with OSHA? Yeah, the, the what I wanted to bring up here was we've reported previously on the OSHA record-keeping rule. This requires businesses to post their injury and illness data uh, electronically. Recently, though, OSHA issued an update to that. And what they're now providing for is that employers with more than 250 employees are no longer required to post their 300 or 301 logs electronically. They're still required to be maintained uh, and kept and, and whatnot, but they're not required to be posted electronically via the requirements of that record-keeping rule. They've cited you know, privacy concerns and, and some other things for the reason for doing that, um, but it is worth noting that those employers, even though they are now exempted from 300 and 301 logs, must still post their, their 300A logs. That uh, obligation is still uh, required. That 300A log is a is a summary of those injuries and illnesses. So that's something to definitely note, and we'll be looking if there's going to be any further changes uh, to that as well. We also noticed that the Treasury Department issued some guidance on the 20% deduction for pass-through income. What's going on there? So this is a provision that was included in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed in 2017. That was the uh, tax cut bill passed by the Republicans. There was uh, some language in there regarding a 20% deduction for uh, that pass-through income, but it was a little bit undefined. The Treasury Department recently stepped in and essentially said 
it's it's going to be allowed to be taken advantage of. There are some requirements for very, very high earners, but that's something that we think is is not as impactful as the general guidance. So let's turn to the states now. Uh, that seems to be an area of increasing activity specifically related to our industry. So what what are you seeing in the states this year now that most of the state legislatures are in session? What kinds of things are, are starting to crop up? Yeah, we're seeing a few different things that are uh, that are definitely interesting. Uh, so it's worth noting that WDMA is able to look at the legislative activity in all 50 states and, and we monitor it daily for new developments. One of the things that caught our eye for sure was a piece of legislation in New York that would establish what would be called the Bird Friendly Council. Um, this is a, a council that would be created to provide some recommendations and suggestions for how to deal with a bird collisions with windows. One of the things that would be required in that council is including uh, a window manufacturer or representative. So we definitely are looking at that one. There's also legislation in Hawaii dealing with expanding the definition of energy efficient windows and skylights to include photovoltaics. They also have legislation that interestingly would actually narrow uh, their state mortgage interest deduction. It would eliminate the ability to take advantage of that for second homes. And a lot of legislation too that we that we look at are uh, related to building codes and whether or not states are adopting the latest version of the code. There are some states that allow uh, their certain regulatory agencies to determine whether or not they'll be adopting the most recent version. In other states, the legislature must take that up. So we watch those bills very closely as well. So those are a couple that are already uh, are already introduced. And as the as the year keeps going, we're going to see, I'm sure, a lot more legislation pop up. So as most people know, we were really active in Connecticut the last couple of years because of the harmful window warranty bill that was considered there. Anything potentially coming back this year that we have to be worried about? So far, so good there in Connecticut. We did spend a lot of time recently, or I should say in the previous session, talking with the bill sponsor and trying to to mitigate a lot of his concerns uh, that he had, which caused him to introduce that bill. Uh, we think that his concerns for now are are addressed, uh, although we're not, we're certainly not giving up or, or thinking that nothing could happen. So we're monitoring the state uh, and making sure that nothing does get introduced along with other states that might want to uh, consider something like that. So right now, I think we're, we're in the clear, but it's definitely something that we're going to be monitoring daily going forward and definitely will be able to, uh, to address it if it were to pop up again. That concludes this episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platform, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening and goodbye until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close.